This is The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. This is a platform designed for education of plastics, hand, and craniofacial surgery trainees from medical student to master surgeon. Our episodes take you through high-yield topics along with experts in the field in order to maximize your knowledge and refine your techniques. If you like what you hear today, be sure to visit our website, theresidentreview.com, for episodes, outlines, resources, and more. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message from our sponsors. Hi, and welcome back to The Resident Review. This is Lily Mundy and Rachel Hine, Chief Residents at Duke Plastic Surgery, and we are going over quick hits from the 2021 in-service exam in preparation for the boards this year. Woohoo! Here we're focusing on hand and lower extremity topics. We were tested and are frequently tested on the blouse classification for thumb hypoplasia. This can be associated with Bacterial, TAR, Fanconi anemia, and whole orum. The work appears with a renal ultrasound, echocardiogram, CBC, and chromosomal breakage test. Classification types 1, 2, and 3A are all managed without finger politization since all have a stable CMC joint. Types 3B and 4, the CMC joint is unstable and or absent, and so thumb is surgically removed and an index politization is used for reconstruction. Next, amniotic band syndrome. Construction bands may range from skin impressions to annular bands that can cause autoamputation in utero. If a, construction, if a constriction band is threatening a limb, then the surgical treatment should be excision of the band in either one or two stages. Giant cell tumors of the tendon sheath. These are most, the most common benign neoplasm after a ganglion cyst. Histologically, this appears as multinucleated giant cells, histiocytes, fibrotic material, and hemosiderin deposition. Treatment includes surgical excision, which is defined as marginal excision. That was tested on. Can you believe it? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Spiral oblique retinagular ligament reconstruction, or SORL, is used for a swan neck deformity. This recreates the function of the oblique retinacular ligament by linking the DIP and PIP. Remember that the oblique retinacular ligament, or ORL, arises from the flexor tendon sheath at the base of the proximal phalanx and fuses with the lateral terminal extensor tendon. So it is tight with PIP extension and lacks with PIP flexion. The PIA flap, which we are tested on, posterior interosseous flap, may be used reverse for soft tissue defects following of the dorsal hand, MP joints, and first web space. Perfusion is based on retrograde flow through the posterior interosseous artery. Access to the flap is marked from the lateral epicondyle to the radial aspect of the ulnar styloid. So remember that the perfusion relies on an intact communication of the PIA with the dorsal branch of the AIA, which is two centimeters proximal to the ulnar styloid, and this will be your pivot point. Perforators are located between EDM and ECU, and that was tested. Flexor tendon repair, so minimize handling of the tendons. Core sutures should be placed seven to 10 millimeters from the tendon edge, which was the test question. And dorsal placement has been shown to be biomechanically advantageous. Nail bed laceration, skin glue versus suture. Skin glue has been shown to be faster, which is its only advantage. All other outcomes have been shown to be equivalent. Brachial plexus injuries. I hate these being tested on these. Um, But within the first six months, you wanna consider neurolysis, nerve grafting, and nerve transfers. After about 12 months, your options include free functioning muscle transfers or FFMT or tendon transfers. So the FFMT or free functional muscle transfers are usually anastomosed to the thoracochromal artery and vein with an uninjured nerve like the spinal accessory or intercostal nerve. Remember, what is intrinsic plus positioning in the middle of the night when you're putting on an ED splint or when you're taking this test? It is anywhere from zero to 30 degrees of wrist extension, 70 to 90 degrees of MCP flexion and zero degrees flexion at the IP joints. 70 to 90 at the MCP because that will make the put the collateral ligaments on stretch. 
And then one more thing talking about lymphedema, treatment begins with conservative management, always including compression therapy, lifestyle modification, therapeutic exercise, and in our comprehensive section, weight loss. So surgical is used for refractory cases and staging, which we were tested on actually. Zero is clinically normal, but with abnormal limb transport on lymphocentigraphy, so clinically normal. One is edema that improves with elevation. Two is pitting edema that does not improve on limb elevation, which was our patient's presentation. And three is fibrotic limb changes. All right, let's take it away. All right, <clears throat> glomus tumor. This is a benign mass that's painful. It's typically found underneath the nail, um, but it can be found elsewhere in the digit. Symptoms include sensitivity to cold, paroxysmal pain in the day or night, pinpoint pain, which is noted as the love sign. Blood pressure cough inflation causes a decrease of pain distally, which is noted as the Hildreth sign. Workup can include an MRI and treatment as excision. Dr. Leversedge always used to pimp us on this and I never knew why, but it came in handy this year. <laughs> Incredible. The first patient I had that had a glomus tumor that we resected thought he was, or the, the patient thought, everyone thought the patient was crazy because this was pain out of proportion to what it should be. And it turned out to be a glomus tumor. EMG and nerve conduction studies. A recovering nerve exhibits nascent potentials. They appear at several months after injury and are a result of axonal re regeneration. Decreased motor unit potential amplitude, fibrillation potentials, and positive sharp waves. Decreased motor unit recruitment are findings in the setting of nerve injury and not indicative of recovery. Nerve growth occurs one millimeter a day. Motor end plates degenerate 1% per week. Maximum nerve growth is 13 to 18 inches, which also corresponds to one inch per month. So that can help assess, that can help you sort of um, estimate the length that would take for your patients to recover and if their motor end plates were still be intact. PIP joint dorsal fracture dislocations. 30% of the joint or less are noted to be stable. 30 to 50% are tenuous and greater than 50% are unstable. Fractures that require more than 30 degrees of flexion for joint congruity are considered unstable and require surgical management. Less than 30 degrees may undergo dorsal block splinting. Volksmann ischemic contractures. These are the result of untreated compartment syndrome that cause muscular necrosis and fibrosis. Trauma or a pediatric supracondylar fracture could be the cause. FDS, FTP, FPL, and the pronator teres are the most commonly affected. This is a deep fuller compartment. Mild contractures will allow for full passive extension of the fingers with the wrist inflection and can be treated with tendon lengthening and skin release. Moderate contractures cannot passively or extensively extend the fingers with the wrist inflection, but retain flexor function. These can be treated with a flexor pronator slide. Complete loss of function or severe necessitates a free functional muscle transfer. All right, hook of hammock fractures. These can be seen in athletes. They cause pain with grip, weakness, and can affect ulnar nerve sensation. This is frequently missed on an x-ray. Carpal tunnel views or a CT scan can identify this, and treatment is typically hook of the hammock excision or ORIF. Obstetrical brachial plexus palsy. These are initially treated with observation as up to 70% of patients have complete or near complete recovery. All right, skin graft contracture. Thinner skin grafts undergo more secondary contraction as well as meshing. All right, we'll talk a little bit about hook nail deformity. This is caused by deficient bony support of the distal nail bed, which we've reviewed before, soft tissue deficiency or both. And correction includes release and shortening of the nail bed that it does not have any bony support or augmentation of the distal soft tissue envelope. So this is the answer for this, this year's test. 
Random pattern flaps are described as transposition advancement or rotation flaps, and Z-plasty is considered a transposition flap, which we were tested on, and this incorporates non-contiguous skin into a defect by lifting the flap over normal skin for inset. Advancement flaps, meanwhile, recruit adjacent tissue, and rotation flaps move tissue around an excess. Mycobacterium abscessus, never heard of this. This has an increased incidence in patients traveling to other countries for surgery, and this is based on ineffective sterilization of surgical equipment or solutions like quaternary ammonium solutions. Remember that brand transfers or extensor tendon transfers for radial nerve palsy. This is palmaris longus to EPL, FCR to EDC, and pronator teres to ECRB. So the answer for this question this year was FCR to EDC. Remember that the interosseae attach to the metacarpals and can be a deforming force in metacarpal fractures, while the lumbricals will arise from the radial portion of the FDP tendon. Hypothenar hammer syndrome. This is first managed conservatively with calcium channel blocker, smoking cessation, or stellate ganglion block. If no resolution of symptoms, you should proceed with reconstruction of the underlying etiology. In this case, it was hypothenar hammer syndrome, so it was ulnar artery reconstruction. Remember that digital brachial indices of less than seven is indicative of reconstruction and 0.5 is indicative of critical ischemia. Pediatric supracondylar fractures. I think we had three or four questions on this this year. This can cause median or anterior interosseous nerve injury. Remember that the median nerve lies close to the brachial artery. This typically will, will resolve with conservative management. However, if the brachial artery is injured or the patient presents with a pulseless extremity, this will warrant surgical exploration. And remember that the AIN innervates FDP, the index, and FPL, which is thumb IP flexion. AIN does not have any sensory components. The sciatic nerve, remember that this branches into the sural nerve, the common perineal and tibial, and the tibial nerve branches into the medial and lateral plantar nerves, as well as the medial sural cutaneous nerves. And the medial plantar artery, which we're typically tested on, is found between the abductor halysis and flexor digitorum brevis. Next, my one of my favorite topics, scaphalunate injury. Yeah, I can't take this one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one way it can be assessed is by clenched view x-ray. So this this can diagnose an acute dynamic injury, and this will reveal a gap of greater than two to three millimeters. Subacute, chronic, or acute injuries with attenuation of the secondary stabilizers will cause a lateral radiograph to reveal a scaphalunate angle greater than 60 degrees. So after the secondary stabilizers like the STT ligament or the dorsal carpal ligaments attenuate, the changes will be fixed on x-ray and the wrist will begin to go into DZ or dorsal intercalated segment instability with the lunate extended and the scaphoid flexed. So remember the lunate is still attached to the triquetrum, which prefers to go into extension. And that was our, that was one of the test questions. The clench view is another test question. And then what is the gold standard for diagnosis of SL injury? And it is arthroscopy based on uh, Dr. Geisler's grades. So this is considered the gold standard for diagnosis of scaphalunae and other intercarpal ligament injuries. And think about the drive-through tests, which were frequently pimped on in the OR um, when we're performing a wrist arthroscopy. And then finally, before I take it, pass it back over to Lil's, intrinsic musculature of the hand in general will cause flexion at the MP and extension at the IP joints. So intrinsics are volar to the MP and dorsal to the IP joints. This is why this happens. Intrinsic tightness is diagnosed if passive flexion of the IP joint decreases with extension of the MP joints and passive flexion of the IP joints increases with MP flexion. And that's just putting tension on those intrinsics. All right. Free fibular dissections. There are different ways people do this differently. However, the tested upon way um, that they'd like us to answer is first entering the lateral compartment, then going to the anterior compartment. Here, EHL will be encountered prior to the interosseous septum 
Remember that the tibialis anterior is medial to the plane of dissection for the fibula flap. Next, entering into the deep posterior compartment, the perineal nerve is at risk as it wraps around the fibular neck at the proximal osteotomy junction. For carpal tunnel syndrome, again, some practitioners will have different practice patterns and how they manage these patients. However, on our test, um, a corticosteroid injection is considered in patients with less than three months duration of symptoms and mild carpal tunnel syndrome on nerve conduction study. TMR is a hot topic in plastic surgery that has been tested upon frequently in the past several years. The benefits of TMR in upper extremity amputees include improved control of myoelectric prostheses for transhumeral amputees and improvement of residual limb pain. A squamous cell carcinoma in an immunocompromised patient should be excised with at least six millimeters to one centimeter margins and extending into subcutaneous tissues. This is the most common malignant tumor in the hand. The latissimus dorsi muscle is a, frequently, um, a frequent muscle flap that is utilized in plastic surgery. Donor site morbidity includes shoulder weakness with adduction, extension, and internal rotation. APERT syndrome is associated with craniosynostosis, mild face, hypoplasia, and complex syndactylate hands and feet. The way I remember this one is when thinking about the other craniofacial syndromes that are associated with craniosynostosis, APERT has all the things, i.e. has is associated with syndactyly of hands and feet. Perilunate dislocations, another frequently test um, fracture and dislocation pattern. The mechanism includes wrist extension, ulnar deviation, and intercarpal supination. The Mayfield classification is frequently tested upon. The first class one is a disruption of the SL and RSC. Two is the lunate capitate joint. Three is the lunotriquetral joint. And four is a full dislocation of the lunate from the fossa and disruption of the DRC ligament. The short radiolunate ligament is likely still attached, which gives that spilled teacup sign. And that was the test question for this year. And let me tell you, if you listen to our perilunate lecture with Dr. Richard, that was discussed. So you would have gotten a test question right from that. Sagittal band injuries. These are responsible. The sagittal band is responsible for maintaining the position of the extensor tendons dorsally over the MCP joint. When the band is ruptured, the extensor can migrate, causing difficulty to initiate extension, but you can hold extension when placed. And that is a frequent um, clinical exam maneuver when trying to identify why a patient isn't able to independently extend a finger. Treatment is either immobilization or surgical intervention and repair. Flexor tendon rehab protocols. Use a dorsal forearm-based splint and early active range of motion protocols um, to achieve better functional outcomes for your patients without significant increase in early rupture rates. However, in order to do a early active range of motion protocol, you need to have at least a four-strand core suture repair. In PIN syndrome, this is commonly seen in rheumatoid arthritis patients with proliferative synovitis of the radiocapitellar joint. You will lose active extension of the thumb. However, you will be able to tenodes. Yay. Just to finish this up a little bit. So Dupuytren's. So the cord responsible for the neurovascular bundle displacement, which we've been frequently tested on in several years, is the spiral cord. And remember that the spiral cord consists of the pretendinous band, spiral band, lateral digital sheet, and Grayson's ligament. Cleland's ligament is spared. Central cord can give NP, PIP contractures, natatory is responsible for web space contractures, and retrovascular cord is responsible for DIP contractures. I always remember Grayson's ligament is volar since you grab with your hands. Oh, that's a really good, that's a really good way to remember that. Bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome, I was once pimped on this at a podium presentation, carries a risk for amyloid deposition and amyloidosis. This can be diagnosed by a small incision 
by taking a biopsy or through a small incision during carpal tunnel release and is identified by Congo red stain. So the question was Congo red stain amyloidosis. The FDS anatomy at the carpal tunnel. So remember, the middle and ring finger are superficial and stacked over the index and small FDS tendons. I always remember this by kind of Spider-Man. You do the Spider-Man. Oh, or the Spider. That's, that's a better way. <laughs> See, this is why. Shout out to Andre, Andre Marshall. Yeah, Andre, Marshall. Andre Marshall taught us that. F FDP is side by side and dorsal to both of these. And then the median nerve is located between the super superficialis and profundus musculotendinous units at this level. Burn patients with circ circumferential burns can develop compartment syndrome. I don't know why this tripped me up this year, but this requires fasciotomy over escrotomy. And remember the five P's, pulselessness, paresthesia, pallor, pain with passive extension, and paralysis. And pass your exam. And pass, pass your exam. Pass the exam. So thank you so much for uh, joining us today for this revisionary quick hits of this year's in-service examination. Good luck studying for the boards, and we'll see you next time. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of our topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.